Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Join with me if you will now and... uh... Let's bow our hearts before God as we seek to find His grace and His love as we study His Word. Dear Father, Lord, we thank You so much that You allow us this opportunity to come into Your house, to hear Your Word, to allow Your Spirit to speak to us, Lord, uh, that we might uh, join ourselves with You and allow You, Father, to have rule and reign within us Allow You, Father, to be uh, uh, to direct our lives and to lead us in the way in which we should go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. I want to ask you, if you would, to Think of probably the smartest person you ever knew. Not necessarily personally, but the smartest person ever. And we all kind of think of of that historical figure of uh, Albert Einstein who came up with so much uh, uh, theoretical science that helped develop uh, so many things and uh, his... Uh, uh, theory of relativity was uh, groundbreaking, and it still is uh, to this day. Uh, uh, he was, uh, uh, of course, a, a person that uh, lived during the uh, very dark days of World War II, and uh, it was through his science and through his uh, understanding of the world and understanding of science that helped us uh, to develop uh, uh, a way in which we could bring that war to an end uh, through uh, the devastating destruction of the atomic bomb. Uh, and Albert Einstein was, in every sense of the word, a very uh, big celebrity during his day, as well as still to this day. There's some people that uh, still have pictures of him uh, uh, on their wall, albeit some of them in college dorm rooms aren't the serious uh, picture that he took, but one of, of him cutting up and being silly. Uh, to kind of remind students, I think, uh, that uh, no matter how brilliant you are, it takes every once in a while just to be a little silly uh, to be able to uh, enjoy yourself. And Albert Einstein said uh, this of God. He said, I, I, believe, I do not believe in the omnipotent uh, and uh, uh, God that so many people believe in, but he said, I believe in a God that rules uh, the world and, and is able to uh, be in charge of things. Unfortunately, Albert Einstein, as brilliant as he was, uh, did not have a capacity and understanding uh, that, of who God was uh, personally. And today I want us to look at, uh, at a uh, chapter uh, 6 of Isaiah uh, because we come face to face with the very presence of God. And I think uh, many times as uh, 
uh, Christians, we need to stop for a moment and take a hard look at ourselves. Uh, each one of us this morning, most likely, hopefully, each one of us this morning took a little bit of time to look in the mirror to see uh, uh, that we had everything in the right place and the right going in the right direction, or at least uh, if not in that right direction and right place, uh, you do at, at the very minimum like what uh, my mom did when I was little, and that was take a big old lick on your hand and, and uh, comb that cow lick down and try and get your hair at least going in the right direction or at least an attempt to. Uh, or uh, as some of us have to do, you have to reel back some of the hairs that are growing in places you don't want to grow and pray and hope that some hairs grow where they have quit growing and give up hope of uh, ever growing. Uh, But we try and uh, take an assessment of who we are by looking in the mirror each morning. We use the mirror to, to assist us in, in doing delicate things like putting in contacts and and, and uh, sometimes you have to uh, watch in the mirror to be able to uh, poke your eye and, and of course uh, the more you get experienced in it uh, the less you have to look but sometimes you still have to look to see what's going on in that eye to be able to take care of things whether it's to uh, put in contacts or put on makeup or or whether it's to uh, uh, get rid of of things you don't want on your face or whatever it may be. But hopefully uh, in assessing things in the mirror, uh, you you, uh, get a chance to see what other people see. But unfortunately, when we do that, uh, 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 sometimes we turn a blind eye to what we actually see that's actually there. We have a way in which we look at uh, that image that's on that in that mirror and sometimes we see things that aren't there or see things in ways that other people in the world don't see. And as a Christian, we have to learn to, uh, to be careful of the way in which we uh, represent ourselves to the world, the way in which we show the world what, uh, because as a Christian we are doing what? We're representing to the world who Jesus Christ is, who God is in, in this world, what God is able to do, what God is able to accomplish in taking someone who's so fallible, so uh, uh, filled with with sin so filled with the uh, mistakes of life and is able to uh, turn it around, uh, turn that life around, make that life better, uh, improve on that life. Some people want to uh, portray a life that is filled with all the best of the world, but we understand and know that as Christians, uh, we don't always get to have the best of what is in the world, but God gives us the grace to accept that, uh, the bad things that happen and gives us His mercy as we seek to traverse the difficulties of our life. And from time to time, we need to make an assessment. We need to look closely. We need to see what, uh, what is in the mirror and have a clear view of who we are, how we're going. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, that I observed as a young person was that uh, how my daddy did things. My daddy had polio and he couldn't 
get around like most people. He couldn't uh, twist his back in order to back up in a car. And so when we rode with Dad, Daddy, uh, when he would back up, he'd use all of his mirrors. He'd use the rearview mirror. He'd use side mirrors. And, and he would use those to a, lot, a great effect. Of, uh, and he got very skilled at backing that car up without turning around. Now, I find myself doing a lot of that myself when I drive. Unfortunately, you don't get a clear view of what's behind you when you do that. Nowadays, cars come with uh, little cameras that help you to see all around the car and see behind you and all that. But even so, even with a camera, you have a distorted view of what reality is. It's not until you turn around and actually look that you really see how close you are to that other car that you're backing up towards or how close you are to the curb that's in front of you. It's not until you look with your own eyes and see the reality of what's there that you really know what's going on. It's good to see through a mirror, but many times we don't see clearly. And so today I want us to take an assessment of ourselves. And we possibly will do this for several Sundays, looking at a couple of different scriptures Uh, to take an assessment of who we are. I want us to look at Isaiah this morning. Isaiah is is a prophet of God. Most of us know who Isaiah is. He's a prophet. But beyond that, we don't know a whole lot about him other than Isaiah lived in a very difficult time, most likely between 750 B.C. and 700 B.C. Isaiah lived during a time where there were four different kings of Israel. And... When Isaiah uh, lived during that time, it began during a time in which uh, uh, Israel had a king, King Uzziah, that's mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 6. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years in Israel. King Uzziah desired to have a close walk with God and wanted to to lead Israel to a, a right place with God. And King Uzziah did that. He helped uh, Israel to get rid of all the idols and get rid of all the uh, altars to the false gods, to Baal and, and Asherah. And he uh, did everything that he could to lead Israel to in the right direction. And for many years, God gave peace to Israel because of his desire to follow after God and because of what uh, God was doing in his life. God uh, gave him peace against all of the, the traditional uh, hereditary enemies of Israel that were all around Israel because Uzziah uh, sought after God and, and trusted in God and relied upon God to lead uh, the people of Israel and to, uh, to guide him as he was king. God uh, gave them Uh, such great peace that there became a great wealth in Israel because of the peace and the prosperity and because of all that was going on. People didn't have to worry about war and damages from war and people didn't have to worry about all the things that, that could potentially be done in the midst of war. And with that, uh, Israel also didn't uh, went through a long period of time where all the things that they did and all the things that they uh, uh, built and all the things they did uh, were not destroyed and were not carried away by foreign uh, uh, countries, foreign peoples. And so they became very wealthy. 
They became uh, so wealthy that Uzziah, the man who desired to follow after God, the man who led Israel to follow God, allowed his heart to be tainted. He looked around himself and he saw all the things that, that he had accomplished And he had great pride and he had such pride that God struck him down with leprosy. And this is the time in which we enter into this understanding of uh, Isaiah's story in chapter 6. It's after this long reign of King Uzziah that, uh, and he has died, that Israel begins to enter into a phase in which they don't know what's about to happen. They don't know how uh, things are going to go because the great leader, uh, King Uzziah, is no longer there and so they are afraid of what is to come. That's only natural. And so Isaiah uh, is writing in chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died... He says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And His train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, each one having six wings. With twain He covered His face, and with twain He covered His feet, and with twain He did fly. And one cried unto the another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So here's the vision that Isaiah is presenting to us. This is a time in which Isaiah and the whole nation is mourning and Isaiah goes to the temple because he is searching for direction. He's searching for some kind of solution as to how uh, to the message that God desires for him to share to the people. Now, Isaiah, uh, like I said, he's a prophet. He's the man who has uh, uh, prophesied. He gives oracles. He gives uh, messages from God. He's the man who says, Thus saith the Lord, and pronounces a, either a blessing or a curse from God. He either says, Blessed be, or he says, Woe unto you. Uh, uh, one of those two. And he's come to the temple. And what does he see? He sees God's presence there. Isaiah comes to the temple and and the throne of the nation is without a king, but uh, he sees God sitting upon the throne. And God is telling Isaiah and He's telling the nation, He says, "Your, uh, Your earthly king may have died, but I still rule and reign. He says, I am sitting upon the throne and God shows Himself to Isaiah and Isaiah sees a tremendous sight. He sees the very uh, image of God. He sees the very uh, uh, presence of God in the temple and the, the temple is filled with God's presence. Look what it says. 
He says, he says I, I saw uh, the Lord sitting upon the throne, and He was high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And what this is conveying to us is, as He comes into the temple, God is there, and God is present, and God in all of His majesty, in all of His glory is filling the temple. God is lifted up. God is exalted and God is on the throne. And what we need to realize is, is that no matter what is happening in the world, no matter what is, is going on, that God is still on the throne, that God is still present. And we need to look to Him and always look to Him. No matter how difficult and no matter how devastating our life may seem, we need to remember that God is on the throne. And he's not just simply sitting back in the corner of the throne and kind of hiding and kind of uh, timid like Saul was when, when he was uh, placed on the throne. Remember King Saul, when they w were about to crown him as the king of Israel, he was hiding out in the baggage. He was afraid. He was fearful. It was like he was afraid to take his role as king that God had placed him in. But God is high and lifted up. God is not afraid. God is not fearful. God is not uh, uh, hiding in the basement. God is not uh, slinking off somewhere to, uh, to be away from the public so that they don't see that he's there. God is high. He's lifted up. He's exalted. And His glory fills all of the temple. He's greater than the temple can contain. He's greater than all of our troubles. He's greater than all of our uh, needs. Not only is He high and lifted up, not only is His glory great that it fills uh, the temple, but also look at what it says in verse 2. Oh, before we get to verse two, in the in the in the margin of your Bible, where right there in verse one, uh, you might want to put uh, John chapter twelve, verse forty-one in the margin. John twelve forty-one, and basically, if you turn over to John twelve forty-one, you'll see that Jesus says, "Hey, you know what? When Isaiah came to the temple, that was me." Jesus. Jesus professes that He is Lord. He says, that's me. That's me. When, when Isaiah came into the temple, this is a Christological manifestation of His presence before His earthly ministry began. That's Jesus Christ. And a couple of other things. When you see the word Lord printed in your, in your King James Bible, your, uh, your Bible, where it has a capital L and O-R-D, that is an indication of the name Adonai for God. It means Lord, but it is the, uh, it is the majestic presence of God. It is the uh, it is God's majesty that is demonstrated. And of course, in verse one, where it says, "And the Lord was sitting upon the throne," uh, the word there uh, that is used is Adonai, and that is uh, the name for God, but it uh, for the Lord. But it is uh, a name that represents all of the majesty, all the glory of God. 
But then when you see in your Bible where it has L-O-R-D and all the words are, all the letters are capitalized, then that's a different word. When all the letters of Lord are capitalized, then that means Yahweh. The name that God gave uh, Moses in the uh, in the desert when he was speaking to him from the fiery uh, bush, the bush that was aflame that didn't con- wasn't consumed. That's Yahweh. That is God. <coughs> that that is God speaking uh, with His authority, and that's God uh, a different perspective of who God is. It's still God, the same person. But it's a different aspect of who He is. Adonai or Yahweh. And so God is, is portrayed here in verse 1 as the majestic. He is full of majesty and uh, full of glory. And that's proven in verse 2. It says, uh, and above the throne stood the seraphim, each one with his six wings, and we have a description of the seraphim. We see a, a, an angel, the seraphim. That's what uh, actually seraphim is the plural for uh, the word. And seraphim or angels, and their distinct role was to proclaim the glory of God, the holiness of God. They attended God at His throne. And, and throughout Scriptures, every time you see seraphim, these are angels that, that, uh, that are proclaiming the holiness of God. You see them here. You see them in Revelation. You see them in other places in which God is, is pictured sitting on the throne of heaven or sitting on the throne of God. And, he, and the angels are, are surrounding the throne and they are proclaiming holy, holy, holy. Why is it that Isaiah describes them? I can imagine seeing these angels was probably a a very uh, uh, awe-inspiring thing, but to see these angels, uh, he says, they have six wings. Now, God doesn't create anything with something that doesn't make sense as to what they do. God didn't create these angels with six wings because He started out with a pair of wings and He says, you know what? I think it'd be good to put up an extra pair on there. Kind of make them kind of like a, 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 a dragonfly. You know, give them a couple of extra wings. That, that'll be look good. You know, if, if four's good, six is good. So let's put another pair of wings. He didn't say that. They had specific purpose in the use. And and Isaiah describes the purpose here. He says, with two wings, they covered uh, their feet. Now, this isn't something that... uh, uh, It isn't because they had corns on the feet or because their feet look ugly. It's because they their role was to be at the throne of God. It's, uh, this was the holy ground as as God uh, spoke to Moses and he came close to the burning bush. God says, "Hey, hey, hold up! You need to take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. When you approach me, you are on holy ground." Same way uh, in other situations in which uh, God is, is described uh, all around the presence of God is holy. 
It's holy ground because of the throne of God. And and so they're uh, covering their feet because of the holiness of God. It's so holy that they must cover their feet because their uh, their feet are not uh, in line with the holiness of God's throne. And they don't want to... uh, uh, to uh, taint the holiness of God's throne with the unholiness of their feet. Now, they don't sin. They don't do anything wrong, but they're not holy like God is holy. They're not uh, on the same par of what God is. So they cover their feet. And similarly, two other wings cover their face. Again, it's not because they're ugly. It's because... It's not because they don't have uh, cool shades to put on their eyes to keep them from seeing too much sun. It's because God is holy. And as uh, as in the encounter with Moses, remember, uh, Moses says, Hey God, I want to see your face. I want to see you face to face. He's on Mount Sinai. And God says, No man is able to see my face and live. He says, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you up and I'll go by. And as I pass by, I'll remove my hand and allow you to see my glory. That you'll be able to see my glory and yet live. And so these angels are covering their face because of the glory of God that emanates from God. It's not the throne. It's not the place. It's God that makes the place holy. It's God's holiness that is too great for even the angels to to see. Remember, they're around God all the time. And they're constantly around God. And they're seeing His glory all the time. His holiness. He's too holy. So they must cover their faces because He is holy. Holier than what they can understand, uh, what they can take, so they must cover their faces. And with the other two wings, they fly. They uh, surround the throne of God. And with their voices, what do they say? They say, "Holy, holy, holy." Now, uh, this repetition is is it does two things. First of all, in Hebrew, there's no way of underlining words. They didn't underline things. They didn't, they didn't have bold print. They didn't uh, have print that was bigger than other print uh, to make things stand out. So what they did is they repeated the word. Uh, is used also in other places in other ways. Uh, remember when Jesus would say something and before He would say it, He would say, Verily, verily. He'd say it verily twice. It wasn't because he was afraid he didn't hear him the first time. He said verily, verily, or truly, truly, because it was a way of emphasizing what he was about to say. This you need to hear. Truly, it is important for you to hear. So he says it twice. And in the same way, holy, holy, holy is repeated over and over and over again to emphasize the holiness of God. To emphasize, this is the holy God. This is the one true God. This is the God over all things. And in His presence, nothing else matters because of His holiness. And those angels are professing His holiness. You see this in the book of Revelation as we see it once again, uh, the image of God sitting upon His throne. The very same image of these angels around about uh, the, uh, uh, the throne of God professing holy, holy, holy. You see it also in the, uh, the elders, the 24 elders that are around uh, the throne of God and they profess holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. 
this is God in all of His holiness. And Isaiah is setting the scene for us to see the holiness that he sees. And they kind of, these angels, as they profess the holiness of God, they kind of got a round robin thing. One will say holy, and another one will say holy, and another one will say holy, and they're just holy, 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 all around God and profess the holiness of God. And that's all they do. It's to profess His glory. Because to do it once isn't enough. To do it a little bit isn't enough. He's holy. So holy is God and His power is so mighty that all of the temple, the foundation, the posts, what He's talking about are the pillars of the temple, they shake with the voice of God. They shake with the voice of the angels. They shake and shudder at the power and the majesty of God. This is the holiness of God. And this is the mirror that Isaiah looks into. This is the mirror that you and I must look into. This is the mirror that we must see. Because with looking at the holiness of God, we see truly who we are. We see not somebody that's doing a pretty good job. We see somebody not that's just uh, uh, like the rest of the world says when you ask them, hey, do you think you'll go to heaven? Hey, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I, I'm not perfect, but I, I, I do think I'm, not, I'm okay. I'm not as bad as some other people. I think I'll make it into heaven. I, I, th- I think I'll, I'll, think it make, I'll make it in there. When you see the holiness of God, when you see His holiness, the measurement that we, sh- that we will be measured by, we're not measured by the person down the road. We're not measured by the neighbor that we have that we think is awful because he, does, he cheats on his taxes, he robs and steals from other people, and he does all, and cheats on his wife and does all kinds of bad things. That's not the measurement of who we are that God sees and that we'll be measured by when we stand before a holy God. We're measured by Him and Him alone. And it's His holiness that we'll look into. And when we do, we'll say and and do the exact same thing that Isaiah did. Isaiah says, Woe is me. Remember what I said that that prophets do. They make oracles and they say, Blessed is He. Blessed is the nation. They profess the blessings of God when people do the right thing. The other message they give is, Woe is the nation. Woe is the man. Jesus even did it when He was in His ministry. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. This is a curse upon anyone <coughs> excuse me upon anyone that's doing wrong. Now Isaiah says, Woe is me. He says, I'm undone. I, why is he saying these things? Because he's looking at God. He's looking at the presence of God. He's looking in the face of God. He sees the holiness of God. And he says, Woe is me. Woe is me. I, I'm, I'm undone. 
I'm toast because of the holiness of God. And here I am. What is he doing? He's seeing his own sinfulness. He's seeing the man for who he is because he's not measuring himself upon the measurement of the rest of Israel. He's not measuring himself upon the measurement of other people. He's not measuring himself because of how the king is or whether or not he's any good. He's looking at God. And he says, I can't measure up to that. There's no way. In fact, the world knows this. But instead, they discount it. They say, you know, nobody's perfect. And what we ought to say is, yes, there is. There's one who's perfect. It's God. It's Jesus Christ, who's God's only Son. He's perfect. And that's the example that we're to live by. That's the measurement that we're supposed to take. That's the ruling, uh, measuring stick that we ought to measure up ourselves. And we'll see that we're left wanting. We'll see that we're a sinner undone. We'll see that we don't deserve any of God's grace. We'll see that we don't deserve His mercy. We'll see that we don't deserve anything. Even the man of God says, woe is me. And what is his greatest asset to God? He speaks the Word of God, right? So he goes to the very best of who he is. His mouth. And he says, even my mouth that I use for God, my mouth that, that I profess the message of God, that mouth that is the message uh, that, use, that expresses the message of God, He says, I have unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, I am undone. I'm unclean. Even the best of who I am. My lips that I profess the message of God with. They're unclean too. I'm undone. But you see, we have to come to that point in our life, like Isaiah. We have to come to the point where we say, you know, I may be good according to the rest of the world, but I'm not nearly good enough for God. I'm, I might be good in the standards of the world that I don't, I don't rob banks, I don't do bad things, I don't beat my children, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't go out and carouse and, and, and stay out all night long and come in and expect to be treated like a king. I don't do all those things. But we have to come to the place where we say, but I'm still not good enough to be in the presence of God. I'm still not good enough according to His standard. God tells us, Be ye, what? Holy. For I am holy. He says, Look, your standard isn't the rest of the world's standard because everybody else is a sinner. Everybody else has missed the mark. Everybody else has done wrong but I'm the standard. Be, you be holy because I'm holy. And to be in my presence, you must be holy. And the wonderful thing about God is 
He doesn't leave us in our unholiness. He doesn't leave us in our undone condition. He doesn't leave us with the impurity of our heart. Verse 6 says, And then flew one of the uh, uh, seraphim unto me, saying, uh, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar of God. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then he said, Then I said, Here am I, send me. Listen, God doesn't leave you in your sinfulness. God doesn't take His holiness and lord it over you as He rightly should. He comes to you once you realize your uncleanliness. And He brings us salvation. The angel comes to Isaiah with a coal and tongs and touches his lips and he says, you have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been saved from your sinfulness. And now, who will go for me? You see, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we understand our unholy uh, uh, place before God, when we understand our sinfulness, then we're open to His salvation. And once He uh, and He offers us that salvation, as soon as we see our unholiness in our life, and then as soon as we are saved, He says, "Who who will go?" He sends us forth. As soon as we're saved, He sends us out. He says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I will go. I'll go. I'll go. That is the response that we give. As soon as as we have salvation is, now that you are clean, who will go? And you say, I'll go. I'll go, Lord. Today, as we gaze into the mirror uh, that is not a reflection of us, but a reflection of God. As we see His image, we see not the sinful individual that stands before the mirror, but a clean and holy person whom God has cleansed and has changed and transformed not just for our own pleasure, but so that we'll go. And so the question is, now that God has cleansed your heart, who will go for God? Who will stand for God? Who will go out and profess the wonderful grace of God? Who will go out and profess His glory, His majesty? (coughs) Who will go and share His wonderful love? Will you say, here am I, Lord, send me. Let's pray.